So we are in Acts chapter 7 today. Uh, so grab your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 7. <clears throat> and we've got a long text today. It's 68 verses long, to put that in perspective. What was last week, like eight? Um, <clears throat> and, and what we're looking at here is a, a three-part story of Stephen. Stephen is not an apostle. If you remember just last week, so I hope you do remember this, but last week we, we saw that he was one of the seven men uh, who were selected uh, to, to distribute mercy needs to the widows in need. Uh, and so that's kind of who he was at this point. That's all we know about him. Uh, and his story today in our text is going to end with him becoming the very first Christian martyr in, in history. The first person who's killed because they love Christ, because they follow Christ. Uh, and, and so we're going to see that. And now the way I want us to work through this text is we're going to do a, a little memento on you. If you don't know what that means, it means we're going to do uh, reverse chronology, and that's just to say we're going to start, um, it's a three-part story, and we're going to start with the last part, and then we're going to go back to the beginning and, and work our way through it. And the reason we're going to do it this way is because I want you to see, um, and I want you to feel, really, I want you to feel what it costs Stephen to say what he ends up saying. I want you to see how it ends, and then when we go back, I, I think it'll make more sense to us What's, what's happening here? Um, to see this faith that he has in the moment of his, of his death, even. And so we're going to start with verse 54, uh, and then we're going we're to read it into the chapter, and, and then we'll go back to the beginning. Um, and this doesn't add text. I'll explain why later. Uh, so, verse 54, Acts chapter 7. <clears throat> Let's get going. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. God, we ask for more grace because we are tired, because we may not want to be here, because uh, we're fighting sin in our life that dulls our love for you. But God, we are here today and we need to hear your word. So help us not to drift away mentally. Give us a, a love for you today. Give us a vision for how much greater you are than anything that might seem to shine brighter than you in our lives. Amen. So it's a pretty gruesome end of the story. How does a man of, of good repute, after all that's why he was selected to serve the widows, uh, a man who is serving widows, how does he end up suffering a death like we just saw? I think the simple answer is he spoke the truth. The simple answer is he, he looked to his Savior rather than looking to the consequences of what might come out of his mouth. And what we see here today is, is still true today. The gospel uh, that Jesus is the Savior is, is glorious. And yet that is a very narrow road in the bigger scheme of things. 
Uh, it's a truth that has many opponent, opponents. And when we, when we follow Jesus, though, we've got to understand, we're confessing that he is our king. Uh, that we are no longer our own because we have been purchased by his death on the cross. See, our, our life belongs to Jesus. I think culturally, if we're honest, we, we kind of want to have Jesus in an advisory role. You know, speak some, speak some wisdom. You know, let's see what you have to say in your scripture. Speak this wisdom into my life, and, and I'll consider it. Um, but that's not the role that God really plays in our life. There's a reason that God speaks of himself as the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings. Because we don't hire Jesus as an advisor in our, in our lives. We submit to him as our king. Uh, and so we're going to go back in this. And I, I want us to see where the story begins and see how Stephen found himself uh, on the receiving end of these deadly stones being hurled at him that end up killing him, taking his life. So to listen, we're going to go back. We're going to read verses 8 through 15 uh, of chapter 6, the previous chapter. Uh, chapter 6, verses 8 through 15. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up people and the elders and the scribes, and, and they came upon him, and they seized him, and they brought him before the council, and they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. And we have heard him say that, that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And so Stephen's doing these signs, he's doing these, these wonders among the people. Typically what that means is, is he's doing amazing healings. There's people with all sorts of illnesses, and he's healing them. You can imagine this starts to get a, a lot of attention. Um, you know, his ministry is, is what caused the leaders to even know he existed, uh, both in the message and the miracles that he's performing. And so uh, what we see here is, is, is that's still true today. We may not be... Uh, doing miraculous healings in the streets. I'm not. You might be. I don't think so, though. Uh, but when we take our faith in Christ outside of this building to minister to others, it, it may draw a great deal of attention to us. Um, that's the case with, with Stephen here. It attracted the attention uh, of those who rejected Jesus as their Savior, Jesus as the Christ. And, and, and that's what's called here the, 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 the leaders of the synagogue of the freedmen. See, we're familiar with the temple in Scripture, I think. We have this idea, um, it's this destination where all the Jews go to and they come to worship, and it's a huge deal. Uh, synagogues are, are similar, but they're a little different. They are, they're more like local churches. Um, there's a group of Jews that have something in common, and, and, and they come together to worship God. Uh, the text tells us here that these, these people dispute with Stephen. Uh, you see these theological disputes happen long before Facebook existed. Uh, meanwhile, they... They hold these very different views. And that becomes this huge conflict between them. Uh, what we see here is Stephen apparently has the better argument um, <clears throat> since they resort to secretly instigating some men. This, uh, this happens still today. Um, in our spin class the other day, an older man named Hank is in there. Uh, and, and every once in a while he'll say, he'll tell our teacher, Brian told me this is the easiest ride we've ever done. And I'm like, what? I didn't say that. Um, <clears throat> 
And then I'll make something up that Hank said, and then we both pay for it because she, you know, she decides to make us pay for it. Um, we do it in good fun. Uh, that's the, you know, the kind of instigation that's happened right there. But uh, here they are intentionally trying to get the people to hate Stephen. Uh, they're claiming that he said these things that they know are going to upset the Jewish people, things that they, they know are going to make them angry. And it's, it's kind of like if someone came into our culture and they're like, this guy, he hates America and he hates the flag and he hates democracy and freedom and children and you know, everything that we hold dear. If you just came in and start saying that, it, it turns the people. And, and what is significant here, though, is for the first time we're seeing that it's not just the religious leaders, but the general people that turn against the Christians, that turn against uh, the apostles, or in this case, Stephen. And remember, Stephen had a good reputation. That was one of the, one of the criteria for him being selected to serve the widows, remember? And, and here in just a moment, some people open their mouth, and they absolutely smear his reputation, and it's, it's gone. Um, they say that he's spoken blasphemy against Moses and God. And just like the apostles before, now he is dragged before this council. And this whole situation is a, a slap in the face of justice because they have these false witnesses, witnesses who are ready to speak against them. And they did the same thing to Jesus. And really it shouldn't surprise us if, anything, if it ever happens to us. Uh, and then they go on to use these partial truths to, correct, uh, to, to convict Stephen. They say, you know, he's, he speaks against this holy place by which, of course, they mean the temple. Uh, they claim that Jesus says he's going to destroy the temple. Now that phrase sounds familiar to you, doesn't it? Uh, you kind of read that and you're like, yeah, he did say that. I'm pretty sure he said that. Uh, and that's why it is. It's one of those partial truths. In John 2.19, Jesus does say, destroy this temple. Not I will, but destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. Of course, Jesus is speaking about his own body. They think he's speaking about the, uh, the temple building. Uh, then verse 15 includes that odd statement, his face was like the face of an angel. Uh, from the rest of the scriptures, we can conclude that uh, his face was glowing in some sort. Uh, that's usually what's meant by that. There's something different. I think that's one of the things that's interesting is they don't see Jesus for who he is, but they can see the impact uh, in Stephen's life uh, because he has fallen Christ, because he sees something different. And so the next, the next part of the, the story goes from verses 1 through 53. This is the absolute longest speech recorded in Acts. Uh, and you're thinking, yeah, and it's still shorter than most of your sermons. Uh, <clears throat> it really is an amazing speech uh, for a couple of reasons. One, he's not trained. He's not been to seminary. He's not been in some rhetoric or speaking class. Uh, but he has this love for God's word, and, and, he's, and it has him prepared for it. Uh, I don't think he would have guessed this. Uh, you know, who would have guessed that the promise that Jesus makes in Luke 21 uh, would, would, would be put into action so often. You remember what Jesus says there? He says, uh, Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. We see God deliver on that promise again and again and again and again. It's one of those promises you kind of hope you never have to test. Um, and yet here Stephen is having to. And, it, and what I love about this though is he has this deep knowledge. This is Stephen. He's just a guy. And yet he has this deep knowledge of the Old Testament that really puts us all to absolute shame. The way he's able to pull from it and bring it into what he has to say here. Uh, you see, if we read uh, his speech, then uh, if, if we read his speech, we'd be here all morning. So we're going to work through it. I'm going to explain some of it, and we'll just get some key aspects as we go. Um, so here's what, what happens. Uh, <clears throat> Stephen stands before the council, and, and the high priest asks him, as he typically would do, uh, are these accusations true? Did you say these things that they say you said? And 
Stephen doesn't answer yes or no. Um, he begins telling a story. And his story is talking about Abraham. He's talking about the promise of uh, God made to give him a land. And, and this is a story that the council is very familiar with. Uh, you can imagine they're thinking, why are you telling us this story? We know this better than you. And yet he goes on and he tells him how Abraham has no children. And yet God said that his descendants, that would be children and onward, uh, would live under another nation for 400 years. He tells how God established a covenant with them, how he gave them a sign of that covenant, which is circumcision, and how Abraham obeyed God. And then he then jumps to the next part of the story, he jumps to Joseph. He talks about Joseph being sold into slavery because of his brother's jealousy, how God gave Joseph favor with the Pharaoh in Egypt. And, and, and we're seeing this. The point that he's going to be making is that his brothers reject Joseph even though that was God's deliverer to bring them out. Uh, he's drawing a parallel to the Jews and uh, that the way that they are rejecting Jesus. Uh, God keeps the promise that he made to Abraham and his people increase in Egypt and they become stronger and uh, increase there. He then tells the story of Moses' life in these 40-year increments. Uh, he tells how God's people lived in Egypt and uh, yet there's a new king that comes along and this new king didn't know Joseph. He has no faithfulness to the people of God. Uh, and so he decides, you know, let's kill all these Jewish babies in, in fear. And that's the moment when Moses is born. Uh, in God's providence, Moses uh, was spared. He ends up being raised, ironically, by Pharaoh, the same person who wanted to kill all the children, his daughter. Uh, and, and that means something. Sometimes we forget this, but that means Moses was actually raised outside of all of the Jewish tradition. He didn't grow up with that. Later in Moses' life, when he's older, it says 40 years old, he wants to know his people, the Jews. He has that, that sense of these are ethnically my people. I want to know about them. And when he visits them, he sees an Egyptian and a Jewish person arguing. And, and Moses gets upset and he kills the Egyptian. Acts 7.25 says, He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand uh, the next day, there's two Jews fighting this time, and Moses tries to stop them, but one of them brings up, hey, I saw you murder that guy yesterday. You know, what are you going to murder us too? Ultimately, they reject Moses. Moses does what everyone does when they feel rejected. He turns and he runs, and he goes out into, the, into a land called Midian. Uh, Forty years go by. He has children out there, is married. Uh, and after a long time, then God appears to Moses in the burning bush. That's the famous story where, where God tells Moses, you know, take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. Do you ever think about this? The place he's standing is not where the temple is. There is no building at all, but, but God calls that ground holy simply because of his presence there. Um, his point is in mentioning all this is that, that God's presence is not bound by the temple, and that's part of this argument he's making. Uh, God then tells Moses he's going to deliver his people, and the plan involves Moses going to Egypt. It's about the last place in the world Moses wants to go. Again, this is a parallel to the way they respond to Jesus. God's redeemer to deliver them is rejected by the people, uh, God's people. In Acts 7.37, Stephen quotes Moses who said, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. Christ is the prophet that Moses was speaking of. Uh, we see that in Deuteronomy 18.15, and so the exact quote says this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And they don't. Stephen reminds them of their history of disobedience. In Acts 7.39, Stephen says, Our fathers refused to obey him. 
He reminds them that they then asked Aaron to make an idol that they could worship instead. You see where this story after story is going? God gives a deliverer to Egypt, and they reject that deliverer. They reject God, and they go and worship idols instead. He's showing this happen over and over and, and over again, and that God gives a deliverer, and Israel rejects it. And in the last part of Stephen's speech, he makes the point that the temple is not necessary. Now understand, he's not anti the temple. He's just pointing out to them, guys, you care so much about this building and you care too little about obedience and following God. You know, you, you think you can contain God in that temple. You can't. He, he quotes from Isaiah 66.1 where God is speaking. He says, did not my hands make all these things? And his point there is that God dwells everywhere. You can imagine all of this upsets them because they love that temple. Again, Stephen's not anti the temple. He knows, that, <clears throat> he knows that God told his people to build it. He's simply against elevating the temple to the point of, of idol war that is to be worshipped. Uh, it's like if I told you, you know, don't worship your child. Uh, I wouldn't be telling you that because I'm anti-children. I'm telling you that because uh, I, I don't want you to elevate your child to the point of idol in your life, something to be worshipped. And this building here has become, a, become a, a, an idolatry to them. Uh, I think that idolatry still exists today. We hope to buy this building. Uh, we believe it would be a benefit to weekly worship, to opening it to serve the community, to a number of other ways that we wish to minister in this community. Uh, but that's not what makes us a church. We're a church today, even without a building that's our own. I think too often churches obsess over their buildings. Uh, Laura and I were, were members of a church in Dallas, and, and they had this 100-year-old building, which was pretty cool. Um, it wasn't in real great shape. It was cute. It was just falling apart. Uh, and at this point in history, it was actually in the, in the parking lot of a grocery store as everything had built up around it. Uh, there was a Starbucks next to it, which was kind of nice. Uh, the land, though, it was on had already been sold, and so they had to decide what they're going to do. Um, and it became this huge split in the church. They had to decide, are we going to move this building to the new property, or are we going to build something at a cheaper price? Uh, and some of the people were so attached to that building because they look back in their family history, and they're like, my grandma played piano in there, uh, and my great-uncle was baptized in there, and, and things of that nature. Uh, over the years, it had really just become a, this idol to many people. About a, a week after Laura and I moved to, to Kansas, luckily we didn't have to witness this firsthand, the church actually split over that. One half took the building and, and moved to the land. The other half went and rented a property somewhere else. Um, it was a terrible way to go. It wasn't over anything theological, nothing, nothing deep. It wasn't about the gospel. It was simply about, you know, what building do we want to gather in? Um, so in our text here, though, one of the accusations is that Stephen has, has spoken against the temple. You know, can you imagine if we accuse you of that? Amy has spoken against this building, you know. Um, uh, it was clearly, though, an idol to these people. That was a big deal to them. They're, and I find it that there's some irony here because uh, this very temple, 40 years later, about 40 years later, is going to be destroyed by the Romans. Um, and, and the irony is that this altercation, altercation here is going to end with the Jews destroying the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is Stephen's body. Uh, that they'd have such regard for, for one aspect and not the other. But let's, let's see how this speech ends. You remember, Stephen is talking to men who can kill him. They have that power. It's a fact he knows. He watched them kill his Savior. Um, and so I'm going to read the way he handles this delicate interaction for the sake of his life. Verses 51 to 53. It's the last portion of this middle section. He says, You stiff-necked people, 
uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. In case you missed it, he, he insulted them there. Um, now to be fair, the insults, you know, there's precedent for this. Uh, back in Exodus 32.9, God himself calls people stiff-necked. Um, it's a word that means stubborn or obstinate. I guess you can't define a word with the word obstinate. Um, it means refusing to change opinion or actions even when there is a good reason to change. Um, he also calls them uncircumcised in hearts and ears. He's saying outwardly, outwardly you follow God, uh, but inwardly you rebel and you bow to nothing but yourselves. It'd be like us saying, sure, you've been baptized by water, but there is no evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Uh, or you may profess to be a Christian, but, but really looking at your life, you clearly aren't. That's kind of the statement he's making here. And, and now, I don't know that many of us would be that bold in that moment. I think this is that moment where like, you know, that's a nice way to say this. Maybe you had it wrong. Um, but that's not what he does here. And, and, and in fact, I, I think when we read this, we tend to think, wow, Stephen was way too harsh. I need to talk to him because he was way too harsh about this. Um, even in the extreme, he's accusing them in the stream. How many times have counselor types in your life told you, you know, don't use words like never and always? Uh, you know, you're always selfish. You're always mean to me. You never listen, that kind of stuff. And Stephen here says, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Now, Stephen, do they really always resist the Holy Spirit? Well, yeah, actually they do. That's, that's his point. They actually do always resist the Holy Spirit. He, he goes on um, asking them, you know, how many, times, or how many times did prophets speak truth and, and you killed them? And he's connecting them to the whole history of the, uh, of the fathers. And he refers to Jesus then as the righteous one and then points out that you betrayed and you murdered him. Do you understand that God gave a deliverer and you betrayed and you murdered him? And he makes this, this reference, that's a reference to a Jewish oral tradition there, where it says that they, they received the law from angels. That was something that was just verbally said. You're not going to find that in Scripture, but that, that angels delivered the law. And, and he's like, he doesn't dispute that, but he's saying, okay, you have the law, and you did not keep it. So here's the deal. Um, there, there are times when proclamation of the truth is done in an intentionally offensive manner. That's a difficult thing to say because it's almost, you know, we can hear that and think, okay, I can go be a jerk to the world. I have been given permission. Um, no, no, but, but we do have to understand this, that Jesus did that. He said things in an intentionally offensive manner sometimes, and, and Jesus never sinned. In Matthew 12, 34, Jesus calls the Pharisees broad of vipers. You know, it's not a trendy insult, but it is an insult. Uh, in Matthew 23, 17, Jesus calls the leaders blind fools. In Matthew 23, 27, Jesus calls some other leaders whitewashed tombs. These are all very, very offensive terms. And, and now remember, you're not Jesus. Sometimes we have to be reminded of that. Um, you're not Jesus, so be very, very careful that you don't use this as an excuse to go be a jerk to the world. See, we are called to speak the truth in love.
But speaking the truth can be offensive. Uh, that's not the goal of speaking the truth. Uh, truth and love, that's the goal. Uh, but at the heart here, Stephen here is telling these people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. That can be a hard thing to do in any culture. I think we can feel that, telling someone what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. And that will take boldness by Christians in absolute every era. And this means that sometimes we're correcting false ideas about Jesus, um, even if it offends others. Stephen here is, is not trying to, to win friends and influence people. He's never read the book. It hadn't come out yet. Uh, he's just saying it in a way that will get their attention. And it does. For better or worse, it gets their attention. Now, I guess you know they don't respond in the, in the way that you kind of you hoped, right? You know, Stephen, you're right. We have been stiff-necked, you know? We were kind of raised that way. It's not our fault, but, but, you know, we're ready to change. Thanks. Thanks for correcting us. That's not what happens. That's usually not what happens. Uh, and so we come back to the text that we began with this morning. This is that scene in the movie where it finally catches up with the first scene it showed you. Uh, and, and now we know how we got to this point. And in verse 54, we see the rage of anger. Remember it says, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. That word enraged is actually a Greek phrase. It's a few words in the text. Uh, it literally means furious in their hearts. Furious in their hearts. Just out of control anger at this point. You see, even at, at this point, though, I, I think he would have escaped with just a beating of some sort. You know what really puts him over? We don't even pay attention to this verse, hardly, but verse 56 is what ultimately gets him killed. He sees this, this vision of, of heaven, and he says, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They know he's talking about Jesus. And the right hand of God is a, is a place of authority. They deny that Jesus is divine. They deny that he is the Savior. And, and here he is saying, I see Jesus in the highest place of authority in the universe. It's at that moment that it says the council cried out with a loud voice. It's at that moment that they stopped their ears. They were just done listening to him, like, this conversation is over, and they, they carried him out of the city, and they began to pelt him with one stone after another, anger and hatred in their hearts for him. The angry men lay their coats at Saul's feet. We're going to revisit that later. You probably know this is who becomes the Apostle Paul. Um, and then the last words of Stephen are recorded here in verse 60. His very last words, strange words to us. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Wow. How do, you, how do you pray for the enemy who is killing you while they are killing you? I think on some level it's simple. You see, Stephen, Stephen sees the glory of God. He's looking at, at something amazing. He sees his Savior. He, he knows that his spirit will be received just as he's just prayed for. He, he sees what the angry man cannot see. You know that that's true in our life too. Maybe not in the amazing vision sort of way, but, but these people in your life who maybe have hurt you, uh, they've sinned against you, they, they might hate you for wrong reasons. Uh, it's not to say they're not guilty for it, they are. Uh, but they don't see what you see. They may have eyes of faith to believe, they may not have eyes of faith to believe. And that, that means that, that we can pray for our enemies. And the reason why is because 
what they do is they don't, they're doing it without seeing the world as it truly is. See, there, there's times when we don't see the world as it truly is, and we do some terrible things. And, and so just like you need the gospel that you have received, so your enemies need the gospel. Sometimes it's hard to put that in perspective, to put it in terms. Uh, so let me put it in some terms. You can take it with you here. Uh, your enemies desperately need the gospel. And there's some irony in this situation because they're accusing him in this moment, earlier they're accusing him of speaking against the law of God. And then Stephen says, you'll have the law, but you don't obey it. Their response, well, they disobey the law of God by killing him using mob violence, only further proving Stephen's point. Um, But I want you to understand that the point of this passage here, this is important, it's easy to get it mixed up. The point of this passage is not, wow, look at Stephen, isn't Stephen amazing? The, the point is, God is great, Jesus is worth even the cost of death, and we need to learn from this that God can give us strength to face persecution just like Stephen did. Now, I guess it, it does raise the question, how do we train for persecution? That's one of the things we don't want to do, right? Let's just not have it. Uh, well, first you walk with Jesus now. You don't beat yourself up for not, for not being able to be as bold as Stephen in this moment here. Uh, there's this We focus on Christ. We focus on who he is. We focus on on the truth of the gospel. We focus on the depth of God's love for us. And we seek to grow in our love for him because that's how you stand faithfully in the face of whatever fiery trial might come into your life. Now, if you're like me, though, you look at Stephen and you can't help but think, I want to be like him. I, I want to so love Jesus deeply that I would not be silent for the sake of social comfort. I want to speak truth and then just let the chips fall as they fall. That sort of boldness. But it's hard for us to relate because most of us are so far from being prepared to suffer or even die like he does. We have faith, but not quite like that. Um, And I think it's easy to be discouraged in those thoughts. Just just include it it in happening and just give up. We even want immediate gratification in our spiritual growth. That's kind of where we're at today. Um, you know, if I can't be like Stephen tomorrow, then I quit. I'll do something else. Um, well, let me encourage you. You can take steps in that direction now. We, we can start moving today so that we can get there eventually. Uh, it's, it's sort of like, uh, you ever seen the Couch to Marathon training plan? It's amazing, right? I mean, uh, it'll work, but you have to actually want to run a marathon, not just, you know, today I think I might. Uh, because it isn't easy, but it's, it's doable. And, and you know, the first thing on that list, you know what it is? It's not get up and run a marathon. Uh, I, I looked it up. The first thing on the couch to marathon is get off the couch and jog slash walk one mile. One mile. That's 4% of what you're trying to get to. And that's the moment you quit, you know? Uh, but that's how we grow. It's these small steps. It's the, the couch to Stephen praying for his enemy's training plan. Uh, it's a, you know, very short, uh, very, very stretched out plan. You know, it's, uh, we're focusing on our Savior. We're listening to his word in the scriptures. We're, we're praying for strength to, to live faithfully in a thousand little ways even this week. Uh, prayers like, God, my annoying roommate needs the gospel just like I do. Give, give me words to speak into the life. God, give me strength to interact with genuine love for my coworkers um, when I don't feel it. 
God, give me patience with my unbelieving extended family. Uh, patience I don't have. Lord, make me strong when I want to compromise my, my moral standards in the moment. Lord, help me to remember that they throw stones because just like me, my enemies desperately need the gospel. And I think that's, a, that's an issue that we sometimes hard to put into practice. I don't have any more notes, but I'll, I'll mention this. You know, we, we over the weekend saw France get attacked by the Islamic State, and it's one of those things. There's a clear enemy. Uh, it's hard to make sense. Are they my enemy or the enemy of the state? And the answer is yes. Um, and, it's, and it's hard, but this is where you can take something like this and put it into practice immediately. Um, did they do things evil? Yes. I mean, is there a place to pray for their destruction so they don't do more? Yes. Um, but at any point have we stopped? I mean, I mean, I asked myself, I've prayed for France, but I don't know that I've stopped and thought, you know what ISIS really needs? They need to hear the gospel, believe the gospel. That's, that's what needs to happen. Uh, it's easy to start focusing on what, you know, how bad they need to be prepared for what they've done and forget to pray, you know what, these, these are enemies and they need the gospel. Uh, and I mentioned that there because that's, that's one way that we see you look in the newspaper, wherever you look, uh, no one looks in the newspaper, uh, wherever you get your news from, Travis looks in the newspaper. Uh, and, and you start to put in the practice, okay, let's pray for them. Why? Because they are our enemies. Um, so let's pray. God, give us faith that is so certain that you are real and that you have redeemed us for all of eternity so that, we, so that if we face the threat of death because of our faith or because of disease or, or accident or anything else, Lord, Lord, that you'd give us strength to make it through, uh, to be faithful to you. Lord, give us anxiety, destroying peace that surpasses all normal understanding. Father, make us to care for our, our enemies' eternal salvation in the same way that we see Stephen do here in his last moments. And again, Lord, no matter how we come to death, may we say with Stephen, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. May we trust in those moments that you will answer that because of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.